Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked on Guardians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly of Scout, formerly of 24-7, where I was the national draft and prospect analyst for both of those websites. Now I am focused on your Cleveland Guardians. Though, with the lockout and everything else right now, uh, today's show is, man, so much heat and on already. Today's show, we are going to continue what we did uh, earlier in the week. We're going to continue our tra- travels, our virtual travels. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to discuss, uh, again, background draft analyst, right? So we're going to talk about the Division One programs in the state of Ohio. Uh, but first, I want to thank everyone for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is that you get podcasts, always free and available, always informative. At least that's what I like to think. Uh, again, thank you for listening. So I'm a little bit disappointed in the fan base out there. Uh, either I have no Youngstown fans or people are skipping the podcast in the offseason and they're angry at the CBA, but whatever it is, Come on, people. I talked about like how many Division One programs are in the state of Ohio. You know, I went Ohio State. I talked about, I mean, the MAC, of course, just loads you up when you've got, you know, well, we already said, let's just start with Ohio State. Then you got uh, Bowling Green, Toledo, Ohio, and Miami, Akron, Kent. And then we talked, you know, the best team in the state is Wright State. And I totally forgot Youngstown State, nine Division One programs. Uh, chance of forgetting another one, but still, nine Division One programs. I left off one, not, not a peep for anyone uh it's a shame because youngstown state is actually probably in the best shape it's been in recent years a loaded and interesting team they i was wanted to pull up i don't remember how they did last year in the um in the the horizon league i felt like they were pretty good like yeah they won 32 games they were the second best record they had a more wins last year than University of Illinois Chicago who's traditionally been like the number two so yeah it was it was a good season for that team and they have a lot of those guys coming back. You know, there's a lot of talent still on that Youngstown State team. The the big name is John Snyder, the big pitcher for them. A six foot five guy, low to mid nineties. You know, he's touched ninety four. You don't see a lot of guys hitting ninety four in the Horizon League or in the MAC or any of those type of conferences. That isn't common. Uh, a little bit surprised he's wasn't drafted uh, a year ago. He was, you know, he's essentially a, you know, he's not essentially, he is, he's a redshirt junior. Like, this is a guy who's been around for a bit. He missed his, he was draft eligible as a high schooler in 2017. So, yeah, he is a little bit up there. But, you know, he pitched as a, didn't pitch because of an arm injury as a freshman. 37 innings in 2019, only 12 during the COVID year. And then last year, jumped it up to 71. Missed 11 bats per nine. The walk rate was over six. But, you know, low ERA in spite of lots of walks. Guys couldn't pick up his stuff. The hit rate was low. Uh, again, when he's throwing 94 and has, I believe the curve is the plus, like a, an above average secondary offering, potentially a plus pitch. Uh, you know, that's that's something. Like you're, look, you're talking about a guy who has a chance to have two above average pitches. And how can I put this nicely? Youngstown State is a solid program. It has had its ups and downs. Right now is definitely up. It has put multiple players into the big leagues. I have actually met one of those players. Um, you know, I, I used to teach with um, with a woman whose husband played for Youngstown State and had played in, for multiple big league squads. He was a really nice dude. Justin, if you're listening, hey. Uh, but enough of that. You know, he was a former Youngstown State guy. That's the only reason. This isn't like some kind of flex. But it's a program that had some really down times recently. But at the same time, it's not exactly a high developmental program. You know, they're doing what they can with what they can. And it's great to see the success they're having. You look at a guy like this who's again six foot five, shows two above average pitches, low to mid nineties fastball. 
And you can't help but think, okay, let's get him in with more consistent coaching. Let's get him into a, an environment. There's upside there. Yes, you don't necessarily think that just due to his age, him being an older prospect in general. But he is a mid-major arm who should have more upside potentially uh, from Springboro, Ohio. He was already 18 and 10 months in his draft year. So he's 23 and a half. He's going to turn 24 this year. Uh, yeah, that's that's old. It is very old. That's why I'm like, again, kind of shocked that he was not drafted a year ago, that no one gave him that senior sign type of offer. You got to think he would take it. And I mean, to me, he's a priority senior sign. You know, if you can get him for five to 10,000 this year, like, why wouldn't you want him? He He's, again, you might think that, you know, oh, 24, what more can he do? Can he really develop? Yes. Need I remind you of when Kyle Dowdy came over and had three miles an hour in the first month that the Indians added in the system? There is always things that can be done. Uh, you just don't see a lot of guys with two above average pitches in the uh, the MAC, and that's it's. I mean, you do. That's not true. You don't see a lot of guys who are this age who have stuck around or not the MAC. You don't see them in the horizon. The MAC's actually been pretty good for pitching because of some of those programs like Kenton Ball State. Uh, the Horizon League has not been as successful with pitching, and that's you know. John Snyder is interesting. Now, he is not the only guy there to check out. Uh, no, not at all. They have uh, two. Well, the the big one is Dominic Bucco, who went to Tri-C, Cuyahoga Community College, uh, is where he was kicking around before he went there. And, you know, you just look at him first off, double-digit home runs. That's something that stands out. You don't see. Also, 10 hit by pitches. We know that is a direct transferable stat that players who get hit by pitches keep getting hit by pitches. But how about this for a line? 344, 446, 600 slugging, 382 bat pip, walked 12% of the time, struck out 17 and a half. Those are all good. Now, again, he is an older prospect. He does not, unlike Snyder, who is six foot four, six foot five, like has the measurables. Buko is like a six foot oh, 200 pound outfielder. So he's got some things to overcome with that build. And then with his age, let's see, they have him listed in here. They do not. I would have to look, but I'm betting he's like 22, 23 as well because of just, you know, how these things work out in terms of when you're already a senior. But production's there. And that was, you know, last year. We'll see what he can do this year. Uh, he had two years at Tri-C. He'll be essentially a fifth-year senior this year because of the 2020 COVID situation. But uh, he was really productive at, at Tri-C, at Cuyahoga Community College. Uh, had the small window and then highly productive uh, at Youngstown State. He actually pitched a little uh, his first year at Tri-C. He was in the Coastal Plains League. I didn't get a chance to really dive into those numbers to see what's there. But there's worse things than like a senior sign or a day three guy. I mean, the, this is what the Indians, Micah Pyers, and guys like that come to immediately come to mind, where you take a gamble on someone who's had high production at a lower level, and you see, you know, it, maybe you find a, a gem. You know, it doesn't happen often, but sometimes that's there. And uh, in terms of statistical performance, he stood out for me uh the just in terms of like overall production uh there's the o'shaughnessy brothers i mean they have they are the most irish you have pedrig and Braden. pedrig is a pedrig o'shaughnessy was a redshirt junior Braden, i think the second baseman is the better prospect the second baseman uh you know the the blaze glenn it's hard i mean i think he's out of years there was a time where blaze glenn had some draft buzz after that first year uh, there. He was a Canadian kid, went to Sinclair Junior College. Freshman year, 
He hit 325, 445 on base, 558 slugging, walked 15% of the time, struck almost 16, struck out 12% of the time, 11 home runs. Uh, all that again, that was his essentially his sophomore year after he transferred in from Sinclair. I mean, he just tore it up and then never approached that production again. It was just unbelievable. He couldn't get back to that. Uh, it, it, it's unfortunate, or he would have been, you know, he's probably, I assume if he's still playing, he's playing independent baseball somewhere. But yeah, the for me, just in terms of statistical performance, I looked at, at Buco, I looked at Schneider. Uh, I couldn't help but wonder about Colin Floyd, who was a kid from Springfield, who was a, a fifth-year senior last year. I saw him pitch. You might have heard me talk about that on the podcast where I mean, he was a lefty, but he was just fooling everyone. And at the time, I think he was like, he was like top 10 in strikeouts in all the NCAA and you could see it. And he threw 101 innings last year and, and a lefty, you know, it was high 80 stuff. Uh, that's a thing, but he was a kid from Springfield and he looked really good the day I saw him. It was a very limited profile, but I was still hoping for him. So there were some of those guys who graduated that also stood out just in terms of performance. Um, Chad, oh, that's another senior there. I was going to talk about Chad Coles, but uh, Connor Johnson is kind of maybe the next interesting reliever to have starter for them who had 13 innings a year ago, missed quite a few bats. Uh, control issues galore with their pitching staff, so that's that really stands out. I mean, a lot of high walk rates, some good strikeout rates, but a lot of high walk rates. But Dominic Bucco, John Snyder, those are the players that you want to check out when it comes to Youngstown State. Now, I know it would be smart to go to Wright State because that's the other Horizon League team, but uh, I also want you to listen to the whole podcast. And, you know, again, top program in the state of Ohio. So we're going to save Wright State for last. We got the rivals Toledo and Bowling Green coming up next. First commercial break is going to happen right here, though. And, of course, we're going to talk about Bilt Bar. Uh, they have been our longest sponsor, and they are our most delicious sponsor. Right now, the special flavor is banana cream pie, but they also have the white chocolate cookies and cream, a.k.a. the Oreo, lemon dip cheesecake, ruby chocolate, coconut marshmallow, and I believe they still have the special sale on coconut uh, uh, caramel almond delight and eggnog, which means you can double dip. You can get those on sale, plus use the promo code LOCK15 to save an additional 15% on your order. This is what I have for lunch every day. That's all. Uh, one more I need to tell you. I like it enough. I eat it daily. Go to BuiltBar.com, try for yourself. They are healthy. It gets A rating in my health food app. And on top of that, it is delicious. It's filling. It's tasty. BuiltBar.com. That promo code's LOCK15. What more are you waiting for? Go try it for yourself today. So let's lead off with some Bowling Green talk. So, you know, I've talked about, I have a family connection. I grew up around the University of Akron campus, and I was pretty rough on Akron, if I am being honest. But if there's a team that really kind of, challenges them for offensive futility and um, pitching struggles. It's Bowling Green. Bowling Green, uh, we talked about Akron having 21 home runs. Bowling Green had 22. Bowling Green had a team strikeout uh, per nine of 6.6 with a walk per nine of 4.87 and a home run per nine of 1.22. Their ERA 6.44. Bowling Green, batting average 258. Their on base actually isn't too bad at 358. The one thing they do do as a team, they walked 11% of the time. OPS at a 715, slugging at 358. So they're slugging and on base being identical. One of those is a good number, one is not. Listen, they were the third worst team in the MAC last year. There's no real way to sugarcoat it, say anything nice. That is the case. They were the third worst team in terms of overall record. The only ones being worse were Northern Illinois and Akron. Uh, Illinois and Akron were at 15, 16 wins, and then 20 for Bowling Green. Uh, Eastern Michigan was at 21, so at least they were close. The the star of this class, honestly, with Bowling Green, and I believe was their first team All Mac performer was Nathan Ross, who was a freshman for them a year ago. 
uh, redshirt fre- or the COVID freshman situation, I think, for him. So he would be draft eligible this year. He had 311 with a 403 on base, a 437 slugging, 840 OPS. Uh, when you're looking at that, his walk rate was almost 11%. Strikeout per- percentage was at 19. Just the one home run, but he did lead the team with 14 doubles. So he was getting on base. Uh, third baseman, he is you know clearly kind of the star performer. Kyle Gurney, the catcher, is also someone you probably want to keep an eye on. Uh, catching is actually a little bit deeper in the max, so I think he doesn't get quite the attention he should and the strikeout it to walk imbalance is there as well. But still, he had 333 as a catcher with a 391 on base and a 511 slugging. Second on the team with 13 doubles, first on the team with six home runs. And obviously, if he's second in doubles, first in home runs, he led the team in extra bases. The walk percentage was about 7%. Strikeout is about 26.5. But he got on base. He hit for power, and he's a catcher slash infielder. I don't know exactly how many games he caught if it was mostly Tyler Haas, but Gurney and Rose are both were a pair of sophomores. They both performed well, and those two in particular really stood out uh, in terms of players. I was uh, tracking Jack Krause when I saw the name. I was like, I remember that name, and I couldn't tell you why. It jumped out of me. I'm like, I should know that. Uh, He was not a redraft, so I didn't have an answer there. Uh, I don't know if it's maybe someone I just tracked because he walked a lot, like walk percentage of nearly 13%, but uh, he was the other player. So offensively, I know I was just dragging on him a bit. There's some interesting performance. There's some guys to pay attention to. Pitching-wise, there's only one guy who had a strikeout rate over nine. Uh, that was Nathan Lohmeyer, who was a redshirt junior, who started two games, most worked mostly in relief. Uh, 10.25 strikeout per nine. Walk per nine was 6.15. Home run was 1.71. So that's five home runs in 26 innings. It's, it's pretty brutal. Uh, Pitching-wise, there just wasn't much here. No offense to anyone who is a pitcher for them. There's always a chance things can turn on, turn around, get better. I just didn't have much. It's definitely, if you're watching Bowling Green, I'm focused on the offensive side of things, if you're going there to watch them play. Going across town to Toledo, I, uh, I, do I count as an alumni of University of Toledo? So, uh, fun story, I went to the University of Toledo for a semester. They gave me the most scholarship money out of high school. So I went there, but they did not have enough dorms. They put me in off-campus, of hars- uh, off-campus housing with students and non-students. Uh, I gave back the scholarship money and left the program after a semester because I got tired of, uh, of the mile walk to the engineering building slash um, no internet access slash uh, it just being kind of a crud show. Uh, there was a lot of good things there. I don't want to drag it down, but I guess technically this is an alma mater. I did go there for the briefest of times. But uh, Chris Myers, who was drafted a year ago in the 13th round, lit it up for them. Uh, he, he had 15 home runs, 18 doubles. Uh, 509 on base percentage. That's right. He also he walked 16% of the time a year ago. He did everything right as a, a third baseman. He was just a monster for the University of Toledo. And that's why he got drafted. But it also shows like you could be an absolute monster and still not go till the 13th round. Uh, I didn't look at it, what his bonus was. I could go dig that up. But I don't know if that's because he you know, wasn't a senior sign type or whatever the situation. But uh, I mean, Toledo had 64 home runs. We talked about Bowling Green only having 22. They had 64. A lot of guys hit for a high, uh, you know, no one else had double digits, but you had multiple players with seven. Uh, there's a lot of guys up and down when you look at this team that were quite productive in terms of the offensive game. 
John Cervello is probably the biggest name on this roster if you're just looking through. And he was, let's see, where can I, why am I, oh, there he is. So he had six home runs tied for essentially fifth on the team. Uh, he also was a 286, 355 on base, 476 slugging. When we're just talking walk percentages with Cervello, he was at about a five, and the strikeout percentage was at a 20%. Uh, there's some thought that he'll grow into some power potentially. I think that is part of the reason he has been someone who gets some preseason pop. Uh, he's just he's been around. He's played well. He's been a rather consistent performer uh, during his time there. He hasn't been great. He's been solidly good, and the hope is that you know he's uh, also someone who's pitched a little bit for them at points. That he might, you know, maybe the power will grow this year. That he'll finally kind of come into that. Uh, and show a little bit more. I don't know if it's going to happen. He hasn't pitched since 2018, but he still has the little pitcher thing on Baseball Cube. Uh, just like who popped. Like when I was going through statistical performance, Myers was the guy. But again, he got drafted. Uh, Scott uh, McCabe, McAwich, who was a freshman, um, you know, he had a 433 BAPIP. Again, we know that's a sign of positive offensive production and contact. 305, 414, 559 slugging. Uh, he is a guy that I'm kind of expecting, you know, to watch for this team. A union from Uniontown, Ohio, went to Lake High School, uh, all of that stuff. You know, this infielder, outfielder type. So he performed, and you know, he went to a, a pretty solid, from what I understand. Uh, you know, that whole area, I feel like, is a competitive baseball area in the state of Ohio. So he stood out uh, in terms of production. And then you guys like uh, Nikki Witterstein and Trace Hatfield also, as well as John Cervello, who had some pretty good bat pip uh, numbers. Uh, Hatfield also had a really nice walk rate. So there's some guys to watch. It was, it was, no, they as a team were, you know, solid, kind of mid-pack-ish. It was essentially Ball State ran over everyone in Central Michigan. And then Kent was third, and then you had Ohio, and then everybody else. Uh, it, it was, and which is interesting because again, you talk about the fact that like Miami had two pitchers get drafted, and a third, uh, their third uh, starter is likely to get drafted this year. Uh, so it kind of shows the importance of having a more well-rounded team, pitching-wise. Uh, this is another team. The walk rate for them as a team was nearly six, and the ERA of six point seven nine. They did have a series of, uh, of players who could miss some bats. Uh, Lane Schnitz Paxton had a strikeout rate of over 11, but he walked guys, and he had a high hit rate. Uh, he was from Napoleon, Ohio. One of those, he uh, moved on to independent baseball. But you're looking at that for like in terms of a guy who had thrown a, a lot. I mean, they had a lot of guys throw like eight or less innings, nine or less innings. Uh, Paxton was at about 70. The next highest player in terms of innings that like that threw a decent amount was uh, reliever slash starter Nate Hugh, who was another senior. They were a uh, kind of a dominant, you know. They had a lot of upperclassmen uh, going for them, so it was not the strongest pitching staff in terms of performance, um, nor was it the most productive. So this is another team where I am very focused on the. I mean, Chris Myers. We talked about him. The uh, do everything. Uh, infielder. He also threw eight and a third innings uh, before getting drafted by the Tigers. So I don't see as much here. I'll be honest. It's maybe someone will step up. Maybe I'll see something wrong. Uh, Toledo is of late. I mean, I think of Ross Adolph, uh, who was part of the James 
James Davis. That is that. Why am I having an issue here? Where I can't think of the big third baseman for the Mets, Davis, uh, who JD Davis. There we go. He was like the major piece in that deal, and he was a highly productive back outfielder from Toledo. Toledo's had more success developing uh, hitters than pitchers. Uh, you know, that's just how it's been for them. We're gonna take another break, come back, and discuss the big daddy of the state. We're gonna get into Wright State, who you know, it, essentially for. The first half of the 2000s, maybe even the first 15 years of the 2000s, I think, yeah, I think you can say maybe even close to like the first 16, 17 years, this was Kent State State. If you didn't go to Kentucky, Vandy, or Louisville, because even, you know, Louisville and Vandy got most, and then after that, players typically went to Kentucky because, hey, SEC program. If you didn't go to those programs, you went to Kent because their pipeline, their record, their success, uh... Wright has passed them, and we're going to talk about Wright State in a moment here. This is your reminder that uh, it's Super Week, last day of Super Week, and that Locked On has you covered at the Super Bowl. Locked On Bengals, Locked On Rams, Locked On NFL are all there. I also want to take a moment and talk about one of our most consistent sponsors, Bet Online, has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. As football season continues its march through the playoffs, right to the big game, Bet Online. .net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just football, but online has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates or current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet online, where the game starts. So Wright State is just a machine. Like a few years ago, they had, like, Ohio State had, like, their best draft year and had, like, seven guys drafted, six guys drafted, and Wright State was right with them, lockstep. So last year, Wright State had, it, that year, they had them this year. I mean, they're, let's put it this way. Um, they had four players drafted, a first-rounder, a fifth-rounder, a ninth-rounder, a 23rd-rounder, and uh, then they also had two players sign un, uh, UDFA contracts. Uh, so they lost... Their shortstop, second baseman, center fielder, and catcher, and then they lost um, a starter. They'll have one of the other starters. So, so I'm just gonna be honest here. I realized I was making errors. Like baseball cube. It was that their one starter um, was drafted back in 2018. He wasn't drafted last year. So they still though had three players drafted last year and five who went on to uh, play minor league baseball. The the other one. I guess we'll just start with Bradley Bramer, who was drafted out of high school by Baltimore. I was like, something's weird here. We don't have a 23rd round anymore. And, you know, that player, actually, Bradley Bremer, is, uh, he transferred from Wright State to go to Indiana. So he isn't part of their uh, rotation or staff anymore, which is unfortunate for Wright State. And honestly, I mean, you got a better chance almost of being drafted out of Wright State than you do out of Indiana. They've put more guys in. And again, Big Ten isn't really Power 5 in baseball. Uh, I wish him well as a senior. I'm not going to knock anyone for going home or doing their thing. As a, a player who had a walk rate under three, as a starter almost from day one, uh, Bradley Bremer is still just a name to know. Like if he performed well at Indiana, he could kind of fit the Indians' model in terms of, you know, last year was a strikeout per nine of 9.98 and a walk per nine of 2.93. Let's talk about their top starter, though, and that's going to be Jake Shirk from Fort Wayne, Indiana. He was a reliever last year and uh, only had about 22 innings. Maybe he works out of the pen. Maybe he's a starter. Didn't miss a ton of bats at 5.64 and a 1.61 was the walk rate, though. So he controlled his limited the damage done to him by a walk. Uh, projects to be kind of their top starter. The Wright State has done a lot of things well. 
I'm blanking on the one guy who went to Air, Ryan Weiss. Like I remember seeing him have some of the easiest velocity of any college pitcher I've ever seen. Uh, and they've had some other players drafted. I'm trying to think of the pitcher I saw in the, the Horizon League tournament who was with them, who ended up being like a day three selection, but I'm blanking out right now. But they've not been as well known for their pitching development as they have been for hitters. Every year there is a hitter or two that you need to pay attention to and know. And they've been very good about getting guys, you know, even if they're not going in the top three rounds, guys getting bonuses close to half a million or more. Uh, Seth Gray, Tyler Black, Peyton Burdick, uh, Sean Murphy. It has been a hitting developmental pipeline. So who are the next two guys? Who are the next few guys? (laughs) Maybe I just gave it away. So they had four starters go. That means you have only about five guys who really stepped up and played. And we talked about the struggles of some of those, you know, Bowling Green and Ohio um, and Akron. This is a team that had 78 home runs, 129 doubles. They hit 340 as a team with a 448 on base. Their team OPS was 1.029. Like, okay, how about on the other side of things where a team walk rate of 3.13 and a strikeout rate of 9.98? Yeah, there's a reason why they are consistently a top-performing program. And what helps you continue to develop is you put guys into the big leagues. And you can go look no further than uh, their catcher, Sammy Sass, who I just need to double-check. Yeah, so this year would be technically, he's going to be a, you know, a, 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 can we call him a COVID junior? Is that a negative thing to say? Uh, he is a player who, 2020, he lost that season, so he'll be draft eligible this year. Uh, last year in his first extended look, splitting some time between catcher and other positions, all he did was have 12 home runs, 12 doubles, hit 362 with a 456 on base and a 717 slugging. He walked 13% of the time and struck out 11% of the time. So he hit for power, played catcher, hit for average. He did it all. And uh, he's from Upper Arlington. So they swiped him right from Ohio. I mean, if you don't know Columbus geography, uh, I went to Ohio State. That was my other school I went to. I mean, Upper Arlington touches the Ohio State campus. It is right there. Uh, and Sammy Sass got swiped. And it's it's extreme high-level production. He may not be the biggest name on this team. We'll get to that in terms of the draft. But I, you can't look past it. I mean, the he has a chance to be an average-ish catcher. Like, he could be okay back there. And then you look at just the high level of production, and you're like, oh, okay, this is an interesting player. There is power, uh, there is speed, there is eye at the plate, and he plays a position that is incredibly hard to find. Okay, so Sammy Sass statistically stood out to me. Uh, he just, it was impossible to, to look past him. He is a guy, and, you know, they're top freshman is uh from hilliard so they they just uh they just get all the top talent from the columbus area uh, but just to go back to the the more the draft eligible guys or the top end players for this team uh, you know again sammy sass stood out and if you're wondering like the other side of things well bat pip it was it was low for this team at 355 it was actually the worst amongst any of the starters so uh, either they're incredibly lucky, incredibly well-taught, or it's a lot of players with really good hit tools uh, you pick. But yeah, he, he was the lowest on the team at 355 in terms of bat pip. Uh, his overall production was third on the team behind uh, Quincy Hamilton, who was drafted in the fifth round, 
by Houston and Tyler Black, who win the first round to the Milwaukee Brewers. So Sass stands out. Now, the player right behind him in terms of like OPS and overall production, Alex Sayer, was, uh, was committed to Missouri, interesting enough. I, I was trying to figure out how he flipped or what happened, uh, but he appeared to be, like, before he went to college, he just decided he was a... Um, you know, uh, I know uh, from Dover, Ohio, and decided it just appears that at some point he had a change of heart. I mean, if you still go to his perfect game page, for instance, it has him as committed to Missouri, but as a he was a 2019 draft class, uh, his 2020 data is all at the Horizon League. He did not, for whatever reason, go uh, there. He is a, a really good athlete. Let's <laughs> just get that out there, get that on front street, as it were. That's what's going to kind of stand out for him is his ability, his athletic profile. But it's not just like that this is a potential, like I assume with, with Quincy Hamilton having moved on, Sayer's going to play center field for him this year. And you get into it with him, and all he did last year was hit 383 with a 479 on base, a 662 slugging, a bat pip of 410, walked 13.5% of the time, walked 14.8 or struck out 14.8% of the time. So, I mean, he walked at a high rate. He hit for average. He, you know, the only eight home runs, not as much as some of the other guys, nine doubles. Uh, we'll see if Pop com- comes, if he grows into it a little bit more. I don't think he's going to be necessarily the biggest guy, but the athletic profile, he, I bet leaning into the season, he's probably higher rated than Sass because Sass has the production, but it's more the physical tools with Sayer. Either way, I'm track. Both these guys are on my high track list, which is, you know, I have the guys who are high track because of potential draft value, and then I have like the high track list because of statistical performance, and then the third list is high track because they're players in Ohio, and it's you know it's where I'm from. I have a love for that area. I have a love for Ohio, um, but SAS and Sayer would both fit under the last two categories. They're both incredibly good prospects, and you know, it, Wright State you can almost pull you know anyone. You can talk about almost anyone on this team. You know, there were some graduations. Guys like Alex Alders, I see, uh, left. So that's, you know, another starter. It's going to be a young team. It's going to be a very young squad. Uh, we'll see who else steps up. I mean, that's the thing. You look at these, Justin McConnell, um, Gehrig Anling, Angling. I wonder if Angling's related to Mac Angling. Let's click on his name right now. Who was, you go to Vandy. Uh, no, probably not because uh, the Mac Angling in Ohio was uh, from Highland in Southern Ohio. Who was he was the top uh, high school prep pitcher what a year or two ago. Um, but more to get to the point, it's like I look at any of these guys; uh, their production is higher than the production at like when I was looking at those lists for the uh, for the Mac teams. That's just the way of it. That's where how talented this team is, and it very much. Uh, bears watching. It's just one of those things that I think there's a very good chance that we are going to see at least two, or if, at least two. I'm, I'm willing to bet on three or four players that end up getting drafted from Wright State again, because that's what happens. Uh, if you're curious, uh, Mac Angling was from uh, Highland Sparta High School in Marengo, Ohio, and he is at Clemson, uh, where he was solid a year ago. He's missing bats. Control, another name to watch for this year's draft. You know, he'll be a 2022 junior. So, uh, again, thank you for listening. Remember to rate and review. I will thank our ra- latest review next week on the show. Went a little long, but we got all these college teams to cover, and when you're talking about the best team in the state, you got to give them time. Thank you again. I want to rem- uh, remind you, 
first listen today and every day, check out Locked on Cavs. It's been a crazy deadline. And as we end every show now, go, go, Guardians, go.